Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to another episode of Monday Morning Coffee. Today, I have a very special guest. His name is Calvin Beakey. He rents homes and flips homes in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He owns a portfolio of about 150 units while flipping 30 to 40 properties a year, which is a lot. His career began in marketing and the hunting industry. And after selling his marketing firm, he shifted full-time into real estate. He loves hunting, hanging out with his wife and his three little kids and job site problems, believe it or not. Calvin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you and I actually met through my brother, uh, who is a avid hunter, and I think something about I think it was cryptocurrency, yep. right? When when there was the Bitcoin craze in twenty seventeen, yep. <laughs> something like that, um, yep. right? And as we're recording this today, it is uh, September eighth, twenty twenty. Bitcoin is now once again below ten thousand, so that's not working out. Um, nice, but yeah, I'm glad to have you on the show. Tell, tell us before we get into it, um, before we get into exactly what you're doing now. Could you tell us a little bit more about what you did uh, before in, in the marketing and hunting industry? Yeah, so the the marketing in the marketing space, I guess, was competitive. I, m- I remember taking a class at college. I was in my second year of college, and and um, the marketing prof never once in the entire time of the class listed social media. This was two thousand and ten. Um, uh, which he certainly, you know, should have been. He was putting, using a pretty old curriculum. I was just getting into it. So just started out with a few businesses who, who could use that help. We, we, were, we put together a hunting video production and, um, and we did our own marketing and it just kind of, you know, certain businesses stumbled upon our marketing. We had, I think we grew to 30 or 40,000 fans and they said, hey, can you do that for us? So it was very informal at first. Um, I was only, it was my year after um, high school, so I was 19 at the time in college. And uh, I think at that, when I was 19, we landed Kawasaki Engines um, as a client. And um, not so much the exciting part of Kawasaki, the motorcycles and such, it was, it was the, um, you know, everything like, a, for example, an Mark mower, you know, would have a Kawasaki engine. So it was, it was that line, the, the mowers and the, the green space. Um, so they became a big client. We landed some other big clients, um, some, uh, firearms retailer, um, just, just a number of larger clients. And then that kind of took off. So, so we had a little hunting production that never really made that much money per se, but we, it got us a lot of hunting clients. So we really stayed a marketing firm in the outdoor space. So as the years progressed, that market became, you know, increasingly, competitive, but um, we had our little niche with video production and social media in the marketing space. So school, did you, uh, did I take it, did you, did you drop out? Did you continue going or was it? Yeah, you know? I, I did drop out. We, uh, we ended up um, winning a business contest actually, uh, which got us some seed money, which, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't earmarked for scholarships. So we actually kind of took that money and, and ran and, um, and uh, went full time into uh, so when I, when I quit, it was kind of the usual plan was I'm going to quit, focus on my business for a year and then go back. And mm-hmm. yeah, that never, never happened. And, and who was the we? So I got two years of college under my belt and that's it. Who, who was the we? Was it your buddy? Just a friend? 
I had a bit, I had a business partner. Um, it was very, uh, it was very short lived. Um, we had a good relationship. Um, he, he went on to, he actually worked for Kawasaki. He interned there and, um, and ended up working for them in sales. And then late, later, actually, when I sold the business, I sold the marketing firm. He, we were looking for more people and um, I recommended him to our, to my management and we actually rehired him later on. So, so he still works actually for that marketing firm, which I no longer have anything to deal with. Got it. And it was just you two that started the marketing firm. Is that correct? Yep. That's yep. amazing. So you were what, like 20 at that point then? Or Yeah, I think 19, yeah, I think 19 when we started the, the marketing firm. Yeah. And any business, business, business experience before that, you know, does your mom and is that where you got this entrepreneurial streak in you as your mom, dad, no. family? <laughs> my, my parents are both very uh, learned, but not, uh, not business-like. My, the, my dad is PhD. He's uh, he's a president of a seminary and a pastor. And uh, my mom has her master's in, uh, in teaching. So no, there was no, there was really no business background. And my, both my grandpas were, we're carpenters, so there's a little bit of the, you know, maybe the, the real estate, uh, you know, construction type element. But um, no, it, it's just, I, I don't know. I, I, I would say probably had three, three high school buddies who we would get together um, for Applebee's at uh, 9 p.m. because we had no money and had half off apps. And then we'd go and back in hot tub at my, uh, at my parents' house. And that was kind of our we would just bounce ideas off each other. So that was kind of the entrepreneurial mindset. All, all, all of them own multi-million dollar businesses um, today. Um, and, you know, all in our twenties, I think the first, first one of us just turned 30. And um, so, so it was kind of, I think it was that uh, camaraderie where we were all starting from nothing together, having good ideas and, uh, and a lot of, a lot of work put into those ideas. So, Yeah. That's cool. I don't think your story is too um, irregular, though. I mean, are you familiar? If you're familiar with Robert Kiyosaki, that's the his whole thing is rich dad, poor dad. His dad was, and not to disparage dads or anything like that, but his dad was his dad dad was very learned, and then he, he kind of did the opposite. And I think a lot of a lot of people do the opposite of what their mom and dad are doing, you know, for for better or for worse. Yeah. And it sounds like maybe you're on yeah. that path. Um, I, I'm still really interested about this, this whole, how you started up the marketing from at that young of an age. Uh, I just interviewed Spike Cohen and he kind of sounds like he did the same sort of thing. It was just not that it fell into his lap, but he was at the right place at the right time with the right idea. What platforms were you, were you using to get that kind of growth in social media? Yeah. Um, I would equate that, you know, from the, from the age and experience, what, yeah, obviously I didn't have much experience getting that, you know, I read, um, I want to say it's, uh, I don't know who wrote it, Outliers, is it Malcolm Gladwell? Is that yep. who wrote Outliers, yep. I think, who um, described a few of those, you know, Bill Gates and, and some of these other guys who, you know, right place, right time, um, that, you know, primarily then, I mean, this is, this is basically 10 years ago, primarily it was Facebook was the the platform we were using, so, we weren't, we weren't the best at say web design. We, we kind of wanted a full service. That was probably the wrong approach at the time. We probably should have just stuck to what we were good at, but I think we, we were the best for a few companies in creating effective ad campaigns through Facebook. So it, you know, it wasn't that hard to navigate back then. Um, it just was so new and it was changing every day. So we just kept up with the changes and, and just got really good really good ROI. I remember getting a, there was a hunting outfitter that we, um, that we got as a client and um, 
we put them on our, our services were honestly way too cheap to begin with. We had like $500 a month was our standard package. And, and, um, so we got this hunting outfitter and I think within like a few months we had brought, we just skyrocketed their sales to the point where all, all of their slots were filled for the next couple of years and they quit our services. So oh. we were left with a, a lot of businesses that we helped grow where we really didn't make much money off of. So that, that was just bad, you know, just, you know, confusion on what to charge for the service, but um, people weren't used to paying for that type of service either. So it was kind of, uh-huh. uh, I think they were of the mindset of let's hire some college kids for cheap and get this done. And so they did yeah, get it so done. It was good. It was good dealing with people and customers. Yeah. When you, when you started that first business, did you, did you, was it very organic in the sense that like, Oh, I didn't, I mean, maybe you didn't have a business coach, you know, some people you didn't, did you even have a business plan or did you just jump into it? And like, you know, even when like registering the trade name with the secretary of state and accounting and all of that, how did that all work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we went through those steps. Um, we, you know, taking that, there was some benefit to college in the sense that there was a, there was a college prof. He was the same college prof who um, I don't even remember his name, honestly, but he encouraged me to, you know, buy my first rental home and um, which I also did at basically the same age there. So I was kind of doing the two, um, you know, I had those two visions, but at the time all my energy was poured into the marketing firm. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, it was kind of, again, just the perfect storm of, of timing. Um, and um, I think looking back at it now, you know, it was like, yeah, I took some, maybe some steps as a 19. I will say people, when you're doing things as a 19 year old, people are almost a little forgiving of a, uh, of mistakes and you know your accountant dealing with you and your clients dealing with you so i'm not saying to take advantage of that but there, there's a little bit of you know when you're 19 year old starting a business where people are you know if they see the passion and and they see you trying to you know charge a fair weight and, and fair you know wage and give them a good service where they're they're apt to take it so tell me tell us about the transition out of that firm then and what what made you decide to move into what you're doing now where, you know, you're doing rentals and you're flipping homes. Um, and then what was it like to sell off, you know, your part of your company? Yeah. So that, that was exciting and, and not, um, I, I didn't anticipate selling it. I didn't have plans to sell it. And, uh, a company approached me that, um, it's called, it's called Winalda Packaging. And they had a, they had a line of, uh, their packaging firm, the owners were hunters. They're coming out with this hunting brand. So we sat down and, and kind of pitched them on a full scale marketing package. They wanted everything from us to, to go to trade shows for them, do a full, full marketing package. And it was so big that they would have at that point become our biggest client. Uh, instead of becoming our biggest client, they said, what if we just purchase your whole company? Um, and I hadn't, you know, I hadn't considered it, wasn't against it. I, I was growing the rental portfolio on the side. Um, I didn't realize at that time how much I wanted, as I did two years later from that point, that I wanted real estate to really be my, you know, identity, my investments um, and, and whatnot, and, and realize how much I love real estate. I knew I loved it at the time, but I also loved marketing, hunting industry and whatnot. So, um, so I, I made the decision at that point, got an offer from them. There was a few, you know, a little bit of negotiation and then I, I committed to sell the company. So I worked, I worked for them for two years at a much, much better salary than I was paying myself um, at the time. So it was a good experience, really good experience to be, to see that. Cause I'd never seen, I'd never worked for a company of a larger corporate size to see the, you know, see the organization, see the structure, you know, see HR, see accounting, 
you know, handled payroll. I was still on some level of, of management there. So I got to deal with a lot of things that, you know, probably gave me a good skill set. So I'm very happy that I was got to be employed as a manager for a couple of years before leaving that and then shifting full-time into flipping and rentals. Yeah. So yeah, let's jump into that now. Cause I know there was a, I thought I, I think I, I think I messaged you on Facebook when I saw you post a really interesting to, to ask you to be on the show because you posted such an interesting photo one day. I, 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 I'll describe it to you and you'll probably remember it. It was, I think it was you and your buddies on the porch and you, it was something about like, this is where it all started. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think it was maybe your first rental. So tell me about yeah. that. Like, how did you, so you were able to somehow get a loan when you were self-employed for a lot of people, that's difficult. I don't know if you were, um, if you had the prowess enough, like uh, some other people do to, you know, make themselves a W2 or a, w, a W2 right away, start paying themselves a salary yeah. or anything like that. So talk about how you got into it. I mean, you, for you, uh, for you to have 150 units at this age and flipping 30, 40 properties a year, first of all, the energy, but like, you know, unpeel it for us. How, how do you start all that? Yeah. So again, the, the timing, you know, 2000, I mean, I would equate timing even much more in this sense. Um, my, my cousin hit the timing better. He was graduating college in 2008, I want to say. And he started buying in 2008 as the downturn. Grand Rapids got hit hard here. I mean, we just got smoked, you know, $100,000 homes and became $20,000 homes. So wow. thankfully today we've made a just unbelievable economic recovery that, you know, that $20,000 home is now worth 150. And that's, that's in, in pretty, you know, the rougher areas of town. You know, I think your average home here is probably about, Oh, 240 to 280,000. So we're still, we're nowhere near a, you know, a Denver or New York. It's, um, it, it's very moderate pricing here still. We, we, everybody here thinks it's crazy high, but it's not high on a national level. So, um, so to work back the numbers, I think I had, I think I had $8,000 going in that first home purchase. My, my dad loaned me uh, $18,000. So I went in with 25K. The purchase price was 21,000. Um, needed a little bit of fix up. Um, I thought it needed a little bit. I ended up needing to replace all of the, all of the plumbing um, throughout the whole house. So it, it hit me, that house hit me one after another. It, I, I picked the worst tenants. I did, I did the stupidest things. It, the house just beat me up. So I, I was, I was sending money from the marketing firm into investing in that house for a period of about two years. Um, the money I would make would, you know, go into that house. So I, I made every mistake in the book and in, in tenants, and rehab um, and that house. So, so that was 2000, 2009. I purchased that. I think we bought one in 2010, one in 2011. And when I say we now here, this is a different uh, high school buddy that I'm buying these with. Uh, the first one I bought by myself, the second couple I bought with him. And then 2013, we stumbled across a, um, uh, it was a high school teacher who had eventually bought, worked himself into buying rentals and apartment buildings. And he sold us a portfolio of 17, 17 units. So up until that time, it was all private funding. So it was all, that was our first bank loan on that. So it was really easy to get private funding. It was a lot of people had, you know, done very poorly in the stock market up until that point and weren't really trusting the return. You know, I don't think they knew how, how good it would bounce back over the years, but they were very happy with, you know, eight or 10%. So we were borrowing money at eight or 10% from private investors, uh, whoever we could find. So we were not afraid to ask for money. Uh, we would go to, you know, 
go to different people. So, and we've, um, you know, today we've obviously always repaid, repaid back every single loan and uh, it's, it's been good. So we still do a little bit of private funding today, uh, mostly on the flips, but otherwise we're all, you know, commer usually commercial loans on portfolios and apartment buildings. Are you glad you picked the worst house and the worst tenants to begin with? So that you uh, would like the lessons got sh shook, out, shook yeah. out right away? I am. I think I would have made those mistakes over, over time too. I, you know, it would have been maybe nicer to make those mistakes on home three or four. Um, I don't know what possessed me to, um, to stick with it. There, I was faced in two years, about a two year point, I was faced with the time, the, the dilemma of either I got to sell this home or I have to hire a property manager. And I hired a property manager and, and things went well from, from that point on. Yeah, is, is it exactly. Is that, is that one thing that you do now? I mean, like, again, I got to stress that if owning 150 mm -hmm. units, my, my wife owns um, a little over a dozen now. And she's, that's, for her, it's, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of work. And she doesn't have a property manager. Is that how you're mm -hmm. able to then, you know, segment things so that you're able to do the flips? Or 30 to 40 a year? I mean, that's an incredible mm -hmm. amount. Yeah, the flip, the flipping right now is like my full-time job. So, and I'm, I'm on the job site probably three or four days a week um, for only a short amount of time. So mostly I'm, I'm just doing the acquisitions and the selling. So I'm, I'm not an agent. I have an agent that we recently hired who works full-time for me. Um, and then I use a lot of other local agents. There's agents that bring me deals, you know, and then on, on the flip, on the backside, I go in and list the house with them as well. So um, yeah, so hiring a property manager, I have all, I don't manage one unit myself, all, all 150-ish units are managed by, there's three different property managers that we hired. It's, it's a little bit geographic. We own, own a lot. We own 54 units in Kalamazoo, a town an hour south of us. We have a different manager for there. And then, and then I, I like two, two property managers here in Grand Rapids. So I hire, you know, use them both. Um, here locally. How, if people are listening to this and they want, they are interested in doing what you're doing, you know, getting into, getting into real estate, owning real estate, getting that return on rentals, and then also flipping stuff. So you have this other stream of income. Um, how, how would you recommend people get into that? I mean, obviously you need a little bit of capital, but what, what are the things that, that if you could go back in time, basically, and tell yourself, like, here's the, here's the best way to start this thing. Yeah, I've, I have tons, you know, lots of people asking me about it currently. And I, I would say like, let's take, let's take the rentals path here first. Cause I think that's the safer, um, you know, approach more. It's definitely the more long-term approach. Um, um, my first piece of advice would be keep right now, keep your W2 income um, and, and get the, you know, get the financing and buy as much as you, I mean, there's nothing safer than, well, I should, this is government related. So maybe, maybe I should say there's nothing safer, but uh in theory, there's nothing safer than a 30-year back, you know, government-backed uh, loan at, at 3%, right? So, you, at buying rentals, um, I, I don't want to say overpay, but I'm almost going to say it. it. As long as the numbers make sense and you can cash flow, be willing even, you know, be just go, just go buy a rental with your W-2 income on a 30-year note. Um, with, you know, with low money down. It, it's very hard to go wrong on that. So a lot of people are trying to save to make sure they get into the multifamily, the duplex or quad unit. I'd almost say it's simpler to just start with a single family. We, our best tenants reside in single family homes um, or apartment buildings in nicer areas. The, I would say the, 
most difficult tenants, and, and I don't necessarily hear people saying this today, for me, the most difficult tenants we deal with are in small, like duplexes and three units, four units in, you know, worse, worse areas. So we have a lot of that. We, we've since sold a lot of that. People tend to, I, I view that as one of the most overvalued areas. I would, I would pick single families in moderate areas and then apartment buildings uh, pretty much wherever. Uh, we, we have some low end and some medium end. Uh, we don't own anything extremely high end. Um, there's a very hip uh, liberal uh, community in called East Town in Grand Rapids. We own quite a bit there. That's very high rent, very um, safe urban area. Um, so for people loving the, the urban feel, the, the brick roads and the, the quaint, um, you know, small town restaurants that's within the city, though, that people really love those areas. So, so we own a lot in that, that space too. So we've since sold a lot of our stuff in, in the rougher areas and kind of, you know, getting ready for whatever market, market shift we're going to encounter at some point and trying to be prepared for that. So in, the, in terms of flipping and how to get into it, um, I'd say it's harder to get into it right now. Um, if you're the one doing the labor, I would not be afraid to say, go, you know, either go borrow private money or, or you know, it's kind of painful to, to go through the whole mortgage process on a home you're just going to sell four months from now. So I would, I would really seek out private money. Don't be afraid to borrow it, you know, at eight or 10% and, and make a flip happen. So number, yeah. numbers are much harder to project on flips. It's much easier to, you know, go over budget. Um, so the flips, flips is definitely more in depth. I, I, I got, I say I got lucky, but that was that was very different from my rental experience. I had the first few flips go extremely well. I kept it very, you know, low cost, low budget, and, and did a really good job. And then I started taking on bigger projects and just started buying like crazy. And as I as I scaled up, I really lost a lot of the profitability, you know, on hiring a lot of stuff out. And my my 2018 was amazing flipping homes. My 2019 tried to just double the volume and didn't go as well as 18. Um, 2020 has just been ridiculous with market up. You know, I don't know what it's up another. They say it's up like 8% here. I want to say it's up like 15% here. It's just, it's just crazy. We're having every single home is going for 20, 30 grand over asking. So that covers a multitude of mistakes, but we've been able to really mark in marketing for buying. We've been able to, you know, get a lot of deals in this market and therefore make profitability while doing volume, um, you know, make it happen. So what, do, what are you looking for when you, when you're trying to identify a good home to flip? What, what are some things that you're looking for that maybe are red flags and says, this is not a good property to buy. And what are some of the things that say that indicate this is, this is on the, on the better side of things and we can, we can actually make this profitable and should this is a good project. Yeah. So we, it, it varies so much. Um, you know, I would say our, our bread and butter is buying homes, and this, this is going to be different for every town. Our bread and butter is buying homes for around the, the 100,000 100, mark that are just a little bit too big of a project for small-time flippers and taking these homes to the two hundred dollars to $250,000 price point. So for us, we like that price point because it's, when you borrow hundred k even at eight or 10%, it's, it's a, it's a amount you can stomach paying that interest every month. Um, the holding costs are not high. The tax the property taxes are not high. So from a very general numbers perspective, we like that. Um, we also put, this is very simple, but we put a lot of that. We stage every single home that we flip. 
virtually every single, if we, if we do the project, we stage it. So I, I say there's two kind of, um, two sectors, you know, one, we go for a finished flip and we also just will buy homes that are, we believe undervalued and just clean them up and list them. So we'll do just trash outs and then just list properties. Often those you're only making between, you know, zero and 20,000. Sometimes you get lucky on the higher side. Sometimes you make close to zero, but I try to buy safe numbers where we're no, no, we're not going to lose. Um, and then the ones we do the projects to, um, those we, you know, really finish to a very final degree and, uh, and do a full stage and, and make them presentable and living. So I, I think sometimes we spend a thousand bucks on the stage and, and get, you know, a thousand percent ROI on, on that staging investment. Very interesting. Do you have, do you have a, have you come up with a formula? And, and here's, I'll describe a, one that's similar that I've seen. Um, there's a couple other developers and, uh, that, that we've worked with over the past few years. Some of them are very good friends now. And, and what they do is, you know, they've read some books and it's like, okay, same paint color, same cabinets, same finishes. You just yeah. keep repeating that. Are you following in that formula, formula too, um, or, or not? We, we are completely, we have, we have not ordered a different interior paint color for an entire year. So we, we've painted the last 40 homes have been one color, every single wall. Um, we used to do, you know, accent walls and, and I mean, we've, we've got, we're down to such a system. So when we do luxury homes, we'll do a little bit more customization with the kitchens and whatnot, but for the most part, it's, it's getting the same vanities, the same tubs, surround kits, um, the same black hardware, same black hinges. I mean, it's, it's, we've got a whole process. So one of, one of the ways we've been able to scale flipping and volume is I have, I have my own payroll team, but I also have three different, what I call 50-50 guys. And what they are is they're, they're managers who are not on my payroll. They're, they're essentially 1099 contractors and they flip homes for me, but together they're, they're essentially a business partner, but not on paper. Um, and they handle the entire project and they do not get paid, you know, $1 as the whole project goes along. So I, I find the deal for them. I fund the deal. They manage the project. They have their own. They they have their own business and their own employees, and they do the entire project. We take all of their expenses, including their employees, you know, expenses. And the day that property sells, you know, then we do a 50-50 split of the profits. So we've been able to do so. About two thirds of our volume right now is through those 50-50 flippers. So my my team, my payroll team, only does about a dozen homes on the year, and the other you know, 35 homes we're going to do this year are all through the, either, either just the, you know, buy the home, do the trash out and list or, or about, or the 50, 50 flipping. So there's really, you know, those, and those, those are very low risks because our, you know, I kind of share the risk with that partner who's, you know, putting all that time in, you know, for free, so to speak um, until that property sells and now we're guaranteed a, you know, a price and we split the profit. So these guys are doing ridiculously good right now. They're, you know, they're, they're making well over six figure incomes on, you know, on fairly basic management of, of job sites with a couple of guys. So it's, you know, that's that for them, they're, they're happy. You know, I'm happy. It's been a, it's been a good run. So I've been doing that for a couple of years with those guys um, on, on the 50, 50 flipping. Yeah. Let's that, was, that was quite the tangent from the from the question you asked, but uh, that's kind of our kind of our business, and they all follow the same. They all kind of have their own model. We all have a spreadsheet, 
-hmm. you know, for example, we get all of our faucets and sinks off of Amazon. So, and then all, everything, probably about 70% of our stuff we purchase through, through Lowe's, it all gets delivered to the job site. So we submit orders that are over $1,500 to Lowe's. They run it through their, you know, whatever their Lowe's pro pricing. The, bid, the bedroom, yep. And, and it usually comes back between 20 and 40% off. So every single, you know, fridge, you know, fridge, range, lumber, front door, every single thing we buy is, is usually about 20 to 30% off less than the price that you see it for retail at Lowe's. So that, that's a major leg up on, you know, most of the small flippers flipping two to four homes a year who kind of don't do their due diligence on what they can get for, you know, pricing goods. Yeah, definitely. No, you're pretty sharp. At some point you should, uh, I mean, you could teach a course on this. You, you could monetize in that way. I mean, that's just, that'd be another leg up for you for sure. Very impressive, Calvin. This, is, this, has, been, this has been awesome. Let, let's shift gears a little bit to, um, this is all just amazing information for, for people and everything. So I really appreciate you sharing it. Do, uh, mo moving ahead, um, you know, you talked, you talked a little bit about uh, how the year hearing averages are moving about 8%, but really you're, you're seeing on your end, maybe 15%. What, what has COVID, has COVID led to any of that? And, you know, um, I've been, I've been clamoring on for months on end now after kind of all the protests and the riots broke out. And, and even before that, what, what was happening in the, in the major cities, are you seeing people come in to your area trying to flee these urban areas? Is that maybe what's put, putting the pressure up or, or, or how has that all affected your business? Yeah, so we, we live in a city or a county, I guess, of about a million people. So I, I would call us a mid-sized city. Um, you know, we have skyscrapers downtown and, and a huge, huge medical. I mean, we, we're much more diversified in terms of uh, careers than we were. 2008, we were largely manufacturing. That's been, there's just been a total shift to healthcare, one of the best children's hospitals in the nation. So in terms of what COVID did, um, you know, we definitely have some, you know, job loss. We, we have tons of people moving from Chicago. I would say one in every five flips we sell right now is I'm selling to a couple moving from Chicago. I don't know. I, I'm sure that's not the trend for the whole market. I think it's because we sell very finished products. So they're seeing that listing of a, of a perfectly finished home and, and thinking, okay, I can move from Chicago, move right into this home. Mm -hmm. I don't have to worry about anything. So, um, so we're, I believe that's one of the maybe, you know, flipping is viewed as, and I view flipping as maybe not such a long-term scalable thing for a long time. I've always been concerned about the, the scalability and the almost legitimacy of, of flipping and, and just kind of riding those, this market wave. Um, but more and more, I'm starting to believe that, that flipping is in a sense here to stay. I mean, you just see so much lack of the so much demand for the trades and the price of trades. And we have, you know, we have things like an in-house electrician, um, you know, who's on payroll. Um, so we're, we're just able to, to get things done, you know, so much more cost effectively than if uh, say a homeowner was to do all these things and then be able to make a really good margin on that. So, um, so I, I just, yeah, I think in terms, in light of the COVID, I mean, our supply is just nothing here. I mean, we've got a million We've got a you know a million people in our county, and we've got like a thousand available homes. So, you know, on the market, you know, new new construction, nothing is keeping up. You know, more building permits being pulled than ever before. So, it's it's just pure craziness. I don't, you know, it's it's kind of weird to it's, you know be sitting here in the in the cold rust belt when 
everybody talks about how hot say the Southwest, you know, market is, and we're just, it's just insane here. So I don't think I'm speaking for all of Michigan, Detroit's, you know, Detroit's not doing as well. Um, so just this West side of Michigan, you know, by Lake Michigan, the Lake shore, um, people, I think from Chicago are moving here and other, you know, urban areas to, um, just enjoy the, the Lake shore and the community that's here. So it's very, you know, we keep on Forbes, we keep getting, you know, rated one of the most cost effective, uh, or affordable places to live with still some pretty good salaries. So it's very normal here for, you know, somebody to make 50,000, you know, a household income to be 50, 60,000 a year and be able to own a home and survive just fine. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a great dynamic to have for sure. Especially if people are work, a lot more people are working remote. I mean, then they're really cashing in if they can, if they yeah. come from a coast and they, they move to where you guys are at. Where do you, where do you, where do you see your, yourself moving in the future? Um, and I don't mean physically, but I mean with your business, uh, would you ever do any ground up developments? You know, is that something you, you've considered? Cause you talk about the supply and obviously that's a problem, but it's also very helpful for yeah. you. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, part of it is I watch what you do, Lance. And I see some of your images and see, you know, see some of your, uh, you know, there, one thing we don't do right now is work with clients. So that's a, there's a part I'd miss about that. You know, I, I miss kind of doing these custom, you know, sweet projects where you have a budget and you're able to, do some of these really cool things because everything we're doing, we're not, we can't do anything special. We got to stay within this kind of scope of everybody likes it. Um, so we're very, you know, uh, we joke about it. We're very Pinteresty, you know, uh, staying with, you know, we do a lot of like just modern farmhouse, a lot of white siding, black windows, wood front door, black front door, you know, almost every house gets a black roof with black drip edge and just like, just these little things that just make a nice modern looking house that kind of cookie cutter, but textbook, um, you know, thing. So I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Every time I look at building an apartment building, the price is, you know, so much higher than, than what it was before I went and looked at it. We've looked at everything, self-storage. I, I think if there's one area I see myself going into, it's going to be commercial real estate. So my, my cousin who's about, five years older than me is, is my mentor. So when he was buying, there, there was a stretch there in 2009 and 10 where he was buying a rental every single week um, until he accumulated about 200 rentals. So he, he found one investor to, to do that with and bought rental after rental home for, you know, between 20 and $40,000 a piece. Well, you know, the appreciation was crazy over the years. So he just finished selling off every single rental this year. And, and he just, rental after rental, he would 1031 into uh, like light industrial, uh, strip mall, commercial, you know, office, uh, you know, mostly high end office. So, so I've seen him do that and his life has gotten a lot simpler with um, commercial real estate, tons of sale leasebacks. Um, you know, he, he was just telling me the other day about a 20 year sale lease bag with a food, food company that's just been a consistent, uh, you know, company. So things like that. Um, so I could see myself doing some you know, sale lease back, uh, commercial investment. I've never been into construction. I, th I think I would like to, that part's exciting. Um, but I don't have my, I, I don't even have my builder's license, you know? So it, it's one of those things where I just haven't, haven't done it. So we've been really good at, you know, fixing residential. So I, I see us just continuing to do what we're doing and maybe dabble in, uh, some commercial investment. Yeah. 
Fair enough. I mean, it's a, it's a lot to chew up. It's a lot to bite off. And why, why, why try to fix something if it's not broke? And I mean that literally like your business model is clearly working for you. So, you know, bravo to that. Like don't, if you're not asking for the advice, but I'm telling you, it's uh, <laughs> development is a whole yeah. different animal. And uh, you know, for us, I mean, it was, it worked out okay. This last time we got out, you know, we got in, we got out right before the market crashed and all of that. And it was a good experience and it gives mm-hmm. us all kind of clout, but um, profitability wise, I, honestly, you're, you're on a better track. <laughs> so um, last it's, question. It's kind of funny Cause I, I, I'm looking at what this market's going to do, you know, and I, I keep telling, you know, people come to me advice and I tell them, you know, I've, I've never been through a market. Like I keep trying to prepare for this, but everything's been up, up, up. You know, I said graduated high school in 2009. I mean, if you're ready to come out in 2009, guns a blazing with, uh, in riding this, you know, all our mistakes were covered. I mean, we bought duplexes in the, in the hood that we rather wouldn't have. Well, by the time we figured out we didn't want them, it was two years later and they were worth twice as much. So, you know, everything's kind of been covered by that market rising. So we'll, yeah, we'll see what happens here. And, um, curious to hear your thoughts on it too, but um, I'm always picking everybody's brain, people who've been through a recession or two and, and trying to figure out, you know, what this might happen here. This one's weird. This one's weird uh, because what, what it is, is in my opinion is, and I would, yeah, I would consider you obviously in this, in this community of the AEC community, the architectural engineering construction community, because it, that's real estate, no matter what we got, we got it. We have, a, we had a 50% crash um, last time. Right. And I mean, uh, mm-hmm. from an employment standpoint, people, 50% of the people lost their jobs. Well, all of a sudden this time it's the restaurant industry and the leisure industry. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that have lost the 50% market share and they'll come back. So, um, and then you couple that with the, the, the numbers are real of people moving out of these urban areas and, or from the coasts or from like Chicago where, you know, we have clients from Chicago that, that are, that were one of them we're building a house for right now. And the main reason he moved is the taxes. I mean, they're just insane mm-hmm. property taxes up there. He's like mm-hmm. the amount of, the amount of taxation that is affecting that is versus the, you know, the just standard inflation of real estate value. All of a sudden in, in Chicago, it's like upside down and these people are having to leave. So yeah. I, I don't know. Um, you know, and then, and then the election's coming up and uh, how's that going to affect everything? I mean, a lot of it feels like for, for us anyway, on the ground here, almost a repeat of 2016. And then, you know, you look at the, you look at the stock market and how people are um, still very uh, bullish on the real estate market. It, it seems like we could have another repeat, but eventually yeah. that, that house of cards seems like I'm with you. I mean, I was just, I'm a very conservative when it comes to, uh, looking at the market and the indicators and everything. And at some point there's got to be a pretty big crash. I mean, the stock market is down like crazy today. I'm losing all kinds of money. I'm not, I'm not up today. Um, but, but who knows? I mean, it's so weird because the bulls, what if the bulls come back in October? So I don't know. That's probably a whole different topic for another, for another verse. But I got one last question for you. And the question is, if you could, if there's, if you could go back to 10 years now to when you first started and, and knowing all the lessons that you learned throughout the way, what is, what is one piece of advice that you would give yourself? Um, <laughs> and it's always a tough one. <laughs> I don't yeah. even know what my answer so, is. So, you know, I, I see a way I could have, I could, you know, I see a path now where I could have, I could own a thousand rental units now and, and I don't. Um, so I, I would counsel myself on that, on that path of, I spent so much time, you know, just focusing on 
the, the small stuff, like, you know, there's so many, you know, network, I'm not saying networking is bad, but so many networking events, uh, you know, I'd spend so much time in analysis and, you know, research that was just pointless, you know? So I think I was definitely a go-getter. Um, I don't know why I said I'll buy one rental and, and see how it goes for two years. You know, that, that makes no sense. I mean, you should buy 10 rentals and see, <laughs> I mean, but just, just looking back, you know, I guess I see why I did some of the, the things I did, but I see a path where I could have, you know, could have owned a thousand rentals. So, and I see some of my, you know, friends dabble at getting into it and they've just been dabbling, you know, about getting into it for the past five years, just to say, Hey, I'll, I'll, I'm going to buy rentals when the market crashes. And, Man, if they could have bought rentals in 2016 when they first thought about buying rentals, they would be doing really well. So it's um yeah, just a just a just an ability to um to get things done. I think, you know, I'm still still struggling with, you know, business efficiencies uh that need to get perfected. Uh, I guess that always is a growth, you know. I'm still still there's there's so much growth that can happen and should happen and I look back at the lessons I just learned last year with doing so many failing at a bunch of high end flips that I thought were going to be, okay, this is how we differentiate ourselves from the market. And we, you know, we go high end and then we're selling homes for seven or 800,000. And I'm so glad I learned those lessons last year because now I feel like we're in a safe spot with, with COVID, you know, with the election coming up where we're doing almost all our homes are between, you know, 200 and 400,000 that we're selling. Um, so there's, there's just always lessons to learn. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Calvin, this was an absolute pleasure. If, if people um, like what they heard and, and they, if they're ever up in the area or that somehow they just want to, they just want to chat with you a little bit and pick your brain or anything like that. Um, where can people find and where, where can people follow you? Just, um, yeah, just hit me up on Facebook or my, my email is, uh, I'm fine sharing that. It's just calvinvicky at gmail.com. Um, so just my name at gmail.com. Uh, and they can reach me out there. So we don't, despite owning a marketing firm at one point, we have almost no marketing for our, for our business. It's a, it's, we list on the MLS and that's our marketing. So there you go. All right, buddy. Well, have a good day and, and stay warm up there. All right. Thanks for your time. Lance. Yeah.